Today we're going to be talking about the Emergent Church with Calvary Chapel Pastor Chris Quintana. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. guys welcome back long time no see uh yeah today we're going to be talking with uh, calvary chapel pastor chris quintana about the emergent church now way back towards the beginning of this podcast i did do a series on the emergent church uh this podcast is not meant to replace that podcast so much as much as it's intended really to complement that podcast we get into several things in this session that we didn't get a chance, or rather, I didn't get a chance to talk about uh, during that first series. Some of you might be thinking, wow, well, the emergent church really isn't a thing anymore. Well, is it? Uh, Actually, many of the beliefs of the emergent church are still carrying on today. Many of the names, many of the names have changed. Many of the faces have changed. But there are so many of those beliefs that continue to uh, carry over and now are finding their way into even some of the more conservative churches. So this is a problem. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and welcome Chris Quintana. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to the show. The pleasure is all mine. So, so Chris, really quick, tell my listeners about yourself. You, uh, you are a pastor. You also have a radio show. I'd like to hear more about it. Well, the the show itself, um, I'm just a part of it, and it's actually on his channel. If people are not familiar with it, uh, we do it on video, but they also podcast it. So, um, his channel does 24 hour. Um, internet-based video, and then again, the audios uh, are also available by podcast. But his channel has a whole variety of different shows, and uh, a lot of it is just uh, Bible teachers that they will take their sessions from, whether it's a midweek or a Sunday morning, and they put those up. And so we do one called Answers for Today with myself, and uh, it's done by uh, Terry Reynolds, and uh, another co-host is Bill Wynn. And so the three of us do that, and uh, we do a variety of topics, very similar to what you do. And so uh, we tackle all kinds of different things. Again, very similar to, to, to what you do in your program. So I do that with those guys, and then um, we, you know, the normal of what pastors do in, in teaching. We are uh, an expositional Bible teaching church in Cypress, California. Uh, we do three services, so we're doing three studies do, throughout the week, and um, that's the church that I came into 32 years ago as a brand new believer, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever sat in and listened to exposition or through the Bible kind of teaching, so chapter and verse, every book, every verse, you know, all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. So that's been our home fellowship for about 32 years. Um, I became the senior pastor when, when my pastor before me, a man named Jack Stevens, went to be with the Lord, Father's Day of 2010. And so 
after being in that church for 25 years and, and being a part of its uh, leadership and already doing some of the teaching Old Testament on Sunday nights, when he passed, it was kind of the transition at that time. Um, and frankly, I never had aspirations to be a senior pastor. I would have loved if he was still here to be serving with him. That that would have been uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, but God had other plans, and so uh, we rest in what he does. That's right. Amen. Well, um, great to have you. Uh, friends, today we're going to be talking about the Emergent Church, uh, as well as, well, we're going to make a mention of the Emerging Church, because there is some confusion about that, but mainly we're, we're going to be talking about the Emergent Church. And I know that I did touch on this subject early on uh, for this ministry. Uh, gosh, that was really early, uh, but I think it's time to come back around and hit the subject again and maybe go a little bit deeper. So first of all, there is a lot of confusion about what the emergent church is and what the emerging church is. Really quick, tell my listeners, Chris, what is the emerging church? Um, you know what? I'll, I'll say it like I said it when I first started talking about this stuff back in 2008. So you would have people that would be considered as orthodox in their theology. At the time, one of the most recognizable guys um, was a guy named Mark Driscoll. And I'm sure everybody, most people are familiar with him and mm -hmm. his exploits, his ups and his downs. And he, he was one who used the term uh, to apply to himself that he didn't hold to a non-orthodox theology, but he was considering himself to be non-orthodox in practice in methodology. And so um, he is, the term emerging was that we are this new type of new way of doing church that's emerging out of the old. And so uh, though he had more reformed, even Baptist kind of leanings, you wouldn't, when you walked into his church, think, okay, great, traditional Baptist, traditional reformed theology kind of a church. Mm -hmm. um, and that's morphed a bit over the years, but he was a good example of what we would consider emerging kind of churches that were pretty edgy, young, used a lot of, you know, um, very street level language and sometimes even profane. Yep, um, yep. And that was the emerging kind of thing. Um, a lot of the guys that were really the movers and shakers have kind of moved on from the scene, but we'll get a chance to talk about that as we go on. So somewhat, okay, very loosely, they pretty much were, were orthodox in their beliefs. It was more of a, hey, we're going to try and do this differently now. It was almost a response to the uh, postmodern culture. It's just that mm -hmm. some, some, of their, some of their tactics, especially the profanity, uh, I don't think is uh, uh, Christ-like. But uh, mm -hmm. at least they haven't completely gone off the map theologically. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Okay. Yeah, and so they would not deny the essentials of the faith. You know, uh, substitutionary atonement, virgin birth, deity of Jesus Christ. Those kind of things they would never challenge. And uh, But they would say, as you had said, the postmodern movement was, uh, look, people are just not flocking to the old denominations. We need to do something different. It's when you started to hear words like um, relevant started to become part of the vernacular of the church. And so that's when buzzwords started being used. And we started hearing people use 
those kinds of terms, and they were just kind of different to the church. But everything was, to me, I, whether they did it deliberately or not, it kept everybody somewhat off balance. And it was very difficult to pin them down because they were speaking in terms that were not familiar to people. And so they did edgy things and uh, they were celebrated for it. And, you know, it's just kind of it was their way of of kind of, I guess, they're thumbing their nose at the old traditional denomination. (laughs) And, you know, I I, okay, I can commend a group for trying uh, different approaches to getting the gospel out. but it needs to align with the scriptures. It's got to be reverent. Mm-hmm. It's it's got to be thoughtful. I mean, and and uh, yeah, and I've I've seen some tactics by the emerging church that you just slap your forehead and go, oh, what are you doing? And then other uh, things, you know, like I I love the idea of using good, good messaged, you know, well versed, edgy music. I I do enjoy music. I love music and. Uh, I like the idea of having some more modern sounding music, but uh, yeah, many of the tactics. Well, go ahead. Sure. And I'd be the first one to say, um, you know, before they did this as their kind of um, almost counterculture to the old line denominations, I come out of a, a group called Calvary Chapel, which was kind of the same thing. And we've been doing that for 50 years. And it was, you know, we're tired of the guys in the robes and the, the sermons that were, you know, preached from on high and yeah. kind of talked down. And so, you know, we were tired of that too. And there was nothing that was drawing the new people in. There was nothing that was drawing. We weren't even speaking to the culture anymore. But it, it, this became a movement that took that, I think, further than anybody had ever really taken it before. Mm-hmm. And it was, we're going to go so far in trying to reach the culture that it'll be difficult to determine where the culture ends and the church begins. So that was where you started to see a real mixture. And uh, that doesn't even approach the churches that were doing that, that weren't orthodox in their theology. And when I say orthodox, they were denying some of the essentials of the faith, uh, things that really are dividing lines between what is and what is not a believer. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, so we have the emerging church. Then how does that differ from the emergent church? Sure. Well, um, you have um, people, and they're still with us today. Uh, Interesting, though, even the way that these things are presented nowadays, they've changed just as much as the people who were changing them. And uh, they would be the other ones who would question orthodox teaching. And it was really much easier to speak about what we're talking about when these guys were still around and everybody knew their names. But I'll throw a couple out. Back in the day, not many people talk about him as much anymore, but there was a guy named Brian McLaren. Oh, yeah. And Brian McLaren's still around, but a lot of people in the church don't necessarily know him. Surprisingly enough, people who should have when he was being celebrated as such a leading light, he would question you know, some of the the basic, um, you have to believe these things to be a believer kinds of things like Mm -hmm. substitutionary atonement or like atonement that was, that was done that Jesus was put to death for the sin of mankind. And it was done with the full knowledge and approval even of the father. Um, he's the one who said that, you know, that, that belief in hell 
is that uh, God will not save you unless he takes it out on someone else. So as he put it, it's kind of more of a cosmic child abuse if the father would give his son to die for the sin of the world. So this is where you get to this. I don't care what they call themselves. I don't care if they call themselves evangelicals. Call them whatever they want. But if they're going to deny the uh, we can't decide we can't divide on these particular things. They can call themselves what they want to, but they're not born again believers by the biblical term, not because I say so but because the scripture teaches otherwise. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he was one of those um, at the time, and I'll probably be going too far back for a number of people listening to this, but um, there was a guy back in 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, and even in, I guess, around 2010, a guy named Rob Bell. Yeah. And he was celebrated by everybody. They thought that he was wonderful, and um, you know, he put out some pretty edgy things, and to me, I, it was to listen to him was kind of like trying to get a straight answer out of him was tantamount to trying to nail Jello to a wall. And um, he wrote a book that everybody loved, and you can find it at every Christian bookstore. And it was called Velvet Elvis. Yep. The repainting of the Christian faith. And when I read that, I thought, if people know what a Rorschach test is, it, it was like. A Rorschach test. That there's no right or wrong answer. It's whatever is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And so you could read that and think, is he orthodox or is he leaving the door open that he's questioning things like that? So when I read it, I thought, this is a terribly confused guy. He sounds like a universalist who doesn't want to admit it. And so fast forward 10 years, and now he's one of Oprah's best friends, and he's denied the essentials of the faith. He wrote the book Love Wins, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's he's a universalist, which he's had those leanings all along. So he was one of those kinds, um, guys like Tony Jones and Doug Padgett were um, big movers at the time. There was a, a... a group called the Emergent Village um, uh, that you know had a website and there were people who were a part of it, and they all shared the same basic doctrinal beliefs that were um, a disallowing of biblical theology and what we would consider as orthodox or traditional theology. Okay. Yeah, and, and I'm seeing that, uh, yeah, Rob Bell, he denied hell in that uh, Love Wins book. I remember that. You know, when I first started listening to Rob Bell, I already had a feeling because I, uh, I, I don't know if I told you this, Chris, but I come out of the New Age movement slash I, I even spent some years practicing witchcraft in the occult. And when I started listening to Rob Bell and, and the things he was saying, I was catching a lot of New Age type concepts coming from him. And, uh, I even thought to myself, boy, this guy would fit really well with Oprah. Oprah loves to talk about God, but it's very elusive who this God really is. And you keep hearing different New Age buzzwords, and she brings in people on her show that are clearly New Agers, like Neil Donald, Donald Walsh types and uh, Eckhart Tolle's and, and uh, uh, you know, many of them, the, the Course in Miracles, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, it's it's interesting that, yeah, he did end up teaming up with Oprah eventually. <laughs> so, well, now, see, because you've obviously done your share of research on it when he finally went that way, your your reaction was, well, of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you and I would have had the same reaction at the time when you thought, well, this was inevitable. 
it's it's um, <laughs> it's it's similar to the conversation we had before we hit the record button with this thing with Eugene Peterson. As I'm reading through his message back when I read it, um, I was catching a lot of New Age concepts in there. In fact, one of the more notable ones was during the Lord's Prayer. He said, "As above, so below." So below. Mm-hmm. Uh, yikes. <laughs> Dangerous stuff. Yeah. Um, Definitely that. So, okay. So basically, in a nutshell, then, the emerging the emerging church is, for the most part, Christians who do believe in the essentials of the faith, but they want to try and make their practice a little more, quote-unquote, relevant to the culture. They want to try to rope people in and... and so they want to reject many of the old ways of doing church while maintaining somewhat of the essentials. Um, but then in contrast to that, the emergent church says, yes, we want to change our practices. But now we're also questioning the essentials. We're questioning the uh, um, commonly held beliefs, the biblical beliefs uh, we're, we're pulling all these into questions and we're applying postmodernism to them. And and I guess I just busted out a word that was my next question, which is what is postmodernism? But do you think that that's pretty much an accurate uh, portrayal of the two groups and how they differ? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously if anybody was to try to look for uh, people saying those things, you're going to be hard pressed to find them anymore. And we'll get into why that is, I think in a little bit, but, uh, the landscape has changed enormously since the, the days when this first started happening. And um, you still see the, the, the result of it, but they're not speaking necessarily in the same terms, and they're not being promoted throughout the church as they once were. So, you know, obviously you've been looking at this for a while. I could throw out names to you like Shane Claiborne and Tony mm-hmm. Campolo and yeah. uh, Dan Kimball and Donald Miller and some of the names I've already brought up before. And you would know those, but anybody looking would say, well, who are those guys? Because you don't know who they are as much anymore. And again, I think that there's a, a very interesting reason why uh, we can get into it when you want to. But to me, that the even the discussion has changed in about the last 10 years, but the resulting effect and the effect that they had upon the church is continuing on without these very visible people as they once were. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's as if <clears throat> they spearheaded that movement and this new postmodern way of doing church has been um, birthed, if you will. The, the, the church went into a cocoon and, and came out something completely different. Um, yeah. And that movement has somewhat dissolved. You don't hear about it much, but the ideas are as far as I'm concerned, I'm seeing them in Christianity all over the place. These ideas seem to be widespread now. Yes. And to me, that the, the best explanation for why that is, the devil knows how to play this game. Mm-hmm. So he would, by definition, very much want to have all of the beliefs out there, but to protect the, you know, the ongoing ministry, if you will, of it, um, take the the people who are identified as being leaders in it and move them out of the out of the way and off the scene and take away the pressure and take away the scrutiny because the seeds have been planted. So 
so they were just useful tools to him. Now, I know that that may really bother some people. So what are you saying? You know, are you saying that they were demonic or I don't I wouldn't go that far. What I would say is what they were teaching was clearly unbiblical and clearly demonic. I mean, we can tell who was the author of it. Sure. So what their intention was is, is not for me to know. I can't know their heart. But what I can look at is the fruit of it. And the fruit of it was devastating. And there are still some very recognizable people who were not in the thick of it on the vanguard and, and the visible ones out there, but the ones working behind the scenes held much of the same beliefs in the emerging side of things, I would say. Guys like uh, Rick Warren and guys like Bill Hybels mm -hmm. from Willow Creek. These guys have such an amazing reach of, of influence that most people don't realize. And so those guys have been doing the heavy lifting of the emerging side of things. And if you ask them, they would not deny the essentials of the faith. They never teach them. And so they have the same resulting effect as the ones who would deny it. But these are definitely guys who have an enormous amount of power, much more than people realize. And churches that affiliate with them and have bought into their church building programs, that's the fruit of it. So <clears throat> one of the worldviews or, or philosophies, if you will, that have played a huge role in this movement is postmodernism. And I keep throwing that around. We should probably define what that is. What is postmodernism? You know, without trying to make it sound too much like a dictionary, um, <laughs> it's just the, the, the mindset is the old or the new coming out of the old. So when you hear postmodern, after the modern of things. So if it's new, if it's like we reject what has been before, we want to do something that is new, postmodernism is a, is a label that you can put on that. So it is it, basically that there's no right, there's no wrong. Postmodern, think of it like art. When they started saying postmodern art, you would look at it and say, what the heck are they trying to do there? Well, it's not that it's supposed to make any kind of sense. It's just the, the new coming out of the old. It's not about right or wrong. It's about expression. Okay. Yeah. And and one of the things – well, some of the things I'm seeing is that they're, they're rejecting answers um, and embracing more of subjective experience. Uh, it's mm -hmm. more of a there are no moral absolutes. There are no absolute truths. Um, mm -hmm. It's more of a asking questions but don't answer the questions. Uh, right. It's feelings. all about the asking. It's not about the sure. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Me. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's 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 the outward over the inward, the uh, spirituality rather than the truth of the scripture, um, mm -hmm. images rather than words, uh, sub subjectivity over objectivity, um, experience over mm -hmm. reason, these types of things. Um, that is postmodernism. It's the you know, I'm glad that that works for you. I'm glad that that truth is your truth, but it's not my truth. It's that mentality. Right. Exactly. And boy, as you say it that way, you've done a very, very good job of categorizing it so that people are able to see and say, well, gosh, that's the exact same thing that's happening in the, in the secular culture. And now we're seeing those principles applied to the church. So postmodern thought is what we see all around us and the destruction that it brings. Look at her and look at the society. Um, you know, everybody 
has the right not to be offended in the in the eyes of the elite. And you have very much that same kind of mentality being put to the church as you can't tell me there's no authority. And that's now happening in the church where traditional, the before the postmodern thought was, well, yeah, there is an authority, and it's the scripture, and it's the God who, who breathed it has the final say on all things. And now that's being rejected by the church, so that's why you're seeing the, the, the challenges to even the most basic, um, what we would consider as traditional beliefs about marriage, um, about uh, things like abortion and all the rest of it, that stuff's being openly discussed and ex- uh, accepted that there are other views that have equal footing regardless of what the scripture says. You know, Chris, I, I, I'm getting this kind of a pushback even from some very biblical Christians. This, um, how do I say this? It, it, there's some people that are very, very turned off by a person who wants to give you the definitive truth as the Bible sees it. That That's actually highly offensive, offensive to them when you give an answer and say, this is how it is. You know whether you do it in love or or not. Alive, I've I've even just yesterday got a lot of pushback by uh, from somebody who's very biblically uh, solid uh, because of of that mentality of you can't just say something's wrong, and it's like well, mm-hmm. well I guess I didn't. God did. God said it's wrong. I'm right. just repeating. Sure. Um, and in this type of mentality, go ahead. No, I was going to say that used to be enough to say that, well, not my opinion. This is God's opinion. He's the one who said it. That used to be enough. It no longer is in the minds of postmodern mentality, the way that, that they view the world. Nobody has the right to say, which is a, a pretty sad statement, considering that, that God has never, when he gave us his word, he didn't give us to he didn't give us his word to win an argument. He gave us his word to say this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And you know why why people want to rebel against that, considering who he is and that he's made it very clear that he knows what he's doing and he's in control. Um, I get it if the secular world wants to reject that, but for the church to reject it is just it, it's insanity. You know, and 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 just postmodernism in general is loaded with logical contradictions. You know, you you have a lot of postmoderns that will say, well, you're being judgmental. But them simply saying you're being judgmental is a judgment. And therefore, (laughs) they're judging you about being judgmental. There's those that say, well, you're being intolerant. Well, they're being intolerant of your intolerance. You know, and (laughs) there are no moral absolutes. Well, are you absolutely sure about that? Uh, Or I'm sorry, there's no absolute (laughs) truth. Um, You just find so many uh, contradictions, uh, logical fallacies loaded within the the idea of postmodernism. And, uh, Mm -hmm. but yet it's embraced. It, it, it's very, it feels like your Eastern religions, like Hinduism and even Buddhism, where, uh, contradictions <clears throat> are embraced and that, hey, don't right. worry about it. We're going with our feelings here. What's right for you works for you. Great. Go with that. You know, there, there are many paths to God, if you will. Absolutely. And see, here's what's so funny as you say that you have people that love. We always hear about celebrating diversity and all the rest of that. 
the Bible doesn't teach diversity of thought. The Bible teaches absolute truth. There's nowhere in there where God says, this is what I really want, but it's cool. Do whatever you like. And there's no right or no wrong. Uh, my goodness, if anything, the Bible is written in a, in a series of absolutes. And even for those that would try to argue against that, they're arguing in, in a sense of, of just trying to uh, appeal to culture. But they can't make a biblical case based upon the Bible to try to refute the Bible in its absolute way of speaking. So, you know, when you look at, it's funny, you, you probably heard the, the old joke that it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And <laughs> yeah. the, the church doesn't live by the Ten Commandments, but what it does help us to do is it puts forth an understanding that God says, this is what is expected. It's not negotiable. This is what you will do. Now, you're going to either be obedient to those things, or you will not. If you will not be obedient to them, there are consequences. So that's really the history of the, uh, of the Old Testament church, um, or the Old Testament uh, uh, believers. There was that list of, of yes and no, what we would consider as the law. Mm-hmm. We live by faith, and it is no less rigid on what God expects. It's just the consequences deferred for the, the people who rebel against it. And um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing when I hear these people talk, and I think, my goodness, you sound so wise. But what you're saying, oftentimes they, they speak so much, but they say nothing. Well, yeah, <laughs> isn't that the truth? You, you said something there, too, about uh, you know, some of them make an attempt to use the scriptures to prove their points, which again is is somewhat self contradictory in that <clears throat> if they do use the scriptures to make their point, they're acknowledging that the scriptures are all authoritative, all sufficient, mm-hmm. uh, and and that actually usually shoots their own feet because they're the same ones that are saying, you know, that may or may not be what that means, and you, you can't take everything from the Bible and and uh, call it moral absolutes, you know, a lot of times they really want to deconstruct what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you run into those problems as well. In fact, I just used another word, deconstruction. Um, that's also something that's really popular in this in this movement. Um, what is deconstructionism? Deconstructionism, um, it, it, to me, I've always thought it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, in that they're, they're saying, you know, we, we can't take the passages and come to some kind of an absolute truth because we weren't there. And so we can't try to put ourselves into understanding what the, what the scripture was being, uh, why it was being said to them, because we weren't there. And so um, that's where you c- it's easy to come up with absolutes using that line of thought, because you would say, well, yeah, you know, you're right. So since we weren't there and we don't know what was happening with them, then how then can we possibly take absolutes of it? And if I think of all the writings of Paul, because that's usually what people are going to be quoting, you would say, well, what argues against the deconstructionist kind of a view is not, not saying, well, how is it written to me and how can I make applications so long as it doesn't require me to agree with there is no negotiation here. But when you look at Paul, what was it that, that Paul would have actually said in any of his writings that you would say, I don't know how much you need to deconstruct for him to say, if that's going on in that church and it was wrong, 
what would it possibly be that he would say that we're doing, or what would we be able to say that we're doing that it wouldn't have that same kind of caution? Let me give an example. Because um, you come, I know we talked a little bit uh, where you come from, but you come from a background, what we would call charismatic. And so there are a lot of things that are uh, blamed sometimes on the Holy Spirit, who, if he was able to speak for himself, he would say, don't blame this on me. What you're doing is totally off the wall. And Mm -hmm. um, we can say, this is what was happening at Corinth. So when Paul was seeing it, he's like, hey, if I can paraphrase, glad you guys are doing what you're doing, but you're doing it all wrong. And so he gives them correction. Okay, great. So if he explains what were the excesses and what were the mistakes, if we see them happening in the church today, how is that any different for his caution to them versus the caution that would be today if it's the same offense? So for the people that are deconstructionists, you want to basically say, look, your own argument refutes itself because there's no way that you can look at the Scripture and come away with anything other than this is a human problem, and humans tend to be corrupt and fall into corruption as they um, uh, they disobey the Scripture. So if you find an, an obvious thing that was happening in one church, let's take the book of Galatians. What were the people looking to do in the book of Galatians? They were trying to keep the law as a way of having approval with God. It becomes almost like a works thing. And Paul had to say, well, wait a minute for us. If you could be made righteous by your own efforts, then Jesus died without a reason. There was no cause. There was no reason for him to do it. Well, how many people do we have that are trying to work their way to heaven? I don't need to know what was happening in the churches in Galatia to understand Paul's argument against the idea of trying to work your way to heaven. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like <clears throat> deconstructionism is you know, an idea where um, rather than letting the author speak for themselves, it's your own subjective opinion. It's how do I feel about this text? How how do I think this applies to me? And uh, what is this saying to me? What do I think they're saying rather than what did they say? What is the author trying to say here? And it's it's you're right. pushing and, your own ideas into the text versus extracting what uh, they're actually trying to convey. Exactly. I remember hearing Brian McLaren say it this way, and it goes to the heart of deconstructionism. You and I would look at the book we call the Bible and say, it's God's completed work, and it's given to man. It tells us where we came from, where we're going. So you have the bookends of it, the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. That Genesis tells us our origins. It tells us that God is perfect and righteous and holy. Man is sinful and broken, and that there was even a consequence with Noah. There was a flood. All that kind of stuff is covered in the Old Testament. And in Genesis, where you get the beginnings of all those things, the book of Revelation tells us where things are going to end up, and then all the things in between tell us what we're supposed to do between here and there. Now, as we do that, we look at it and say, okay, it's a completed thing. There's really nothing else. We're just waiting for the parts of the Bible that are still spoken of as being future. We're waiting for those to play out. Brian McLaren would say, the, God, uh, the Bible is not, uh, you know, it's written, yes, but it's not final. 
We need to read ourselves into it, and we can affect the outcome of it. So um, I remember hearing him say that, and I thought, man, that sounds so appealing. It really does. No wonder people gravitate towards that, because it really, really, not only it plays on people's God complex to begin with, but that idea of self-importance and, you know, making ourselves out to be something we really aren't, man, it plays right into that. So it sounds magnificent. Uh, Let's be honest. It sounds awesome. But at the same time, you say, but please show me in the text where you have a biblical evidence that that was God's intent, because I'll show you the the total opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, too. A lot of this movement, um, you see a lot of, of, well, postmodernism and liberal ideas kind of go hand in hand. Um, And Mm -hmm. with that you're seeing um, many of these emergent uh, uh, types moving in a direction that seems like they they want many paths to God or an ecumenical approach to the faith where you can say, hey, Jesus isn't the only way uh, to God or, or the only way to be saved. There are many ways to heaven. There are many roads to salvation. Um, in your experience, are you seeing that the emergent church is moving in that direction of, of ecumenicalism? Well, uh, ecumenism is certainly the the way that the church is moving, and easiest way for it to get that way is to remove absolutes, is to say, well, wait a minute, this is what the Bible says. Now, I'm not talking about little subtle differences in doctrinal beliefs, but we're talking about... Um, the idea of partnering with other, even other religions to, for the help of humanity, because it's, you know, it's a good thing to do. Now, I don't have a problem with, with going and trying to help people and doing what, what most people would call mission work, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to do it with people that are Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or New Agers or Mormons or any of the rest of it. Because if if we're going to go out into the world and do things, we have to do it with the message of the gospel, or all that you've done is meet a a material need of a person, but never dealt with the spiritual things. Yes, yes, yes. uh, A lot of churches call this the social gospel or the social justice. And Mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, we can all just link arms and, yeah, we can go build water filters in Haiti for people who desperately need clean drinking water. We're saving lives. We're doing a wonderful thing. But guess what? We're also confusing them about the truth of the gospel. Because now we don't know. Is it is it the Catholic gospel? Is it the gospel according to the, the evangelicals? Is it, you know, what is it? And when we do these types of social justice things, yeah, we all we're doing is helping people out, but we're not giving them the truth. And uh, you can hand people bottles of water, cold water, on their way to hell all day long, but you're not going to be really helping them. Yes. And there is the problem. You're doing nothing to remedy the real problem. Um, And and so when I hear people say that they've got to build, this is one of my things that makes me absolutely crazy when I hear them say it. Well, we don't get right to the gospel right away because we want to build relationships first. Okay. I understand what they think is the wisdom of that, but I question the wisdom of it. And here's why. You don't know if those people have tomorrow. 
So none of us know what we have. And, and I don't understand why it is that for those people, and again, when you say the social gospel, there is also that idea that, well, we shouldn't try to go impose anything because we have a life of privilege. And we're really doing as much as we can to right the wrongs of history, some of the things that have been done by the churches in America, and you get that kind of element that's in there as well. So there's that secular thought that's infiltrated the church. But as far as I'm concerned, how is it a problem for me to, let's say, uh, go or, you know, halfway around the world and make food for someone and feed the hungry and say, you know, while you're eating that, can I, can I tell you a little something? There's a time in my life when I wouldn't have come all the way around the world to make something for you to eat. But I do so because Jesus loves you, and I know that because he loves me. I wouldn't have cared before, but I do because he cares. Let me tell you about it. The fact that, that we think that we can't do that, and or if we say, you want to know why I'm digging a well? You want to know why I'm building a house or giving you, a, like I say, a sandwich or a blanket or something else like that? It's because Jesus is real and he's changed my life. And now I have a love and a care and a concern for you that I never would have had before. Can I tell you about them? That used to be how we did missions. Now it's like, okay, well, what do you guys do in the mission field? Well, we're doing this. It's all action, but it's not anything of a spiritual nature, although they will defend it by saying, well, we're building relationships. Okay, great. So when do you get to the gospel part of it? So that's the frustrating thing. There's no urgency to it. And I would go even a step further. I think that that has an eschatological side of things. Mainly when I say eschatology, it's like, well, how do things wrap up? Many of the people doing missions in the world think that Jesus won't return until we have done these social things and we've created a world that's ready for Jesus to come back and and, uh, take and so um, they'll look at a, a passage like Matthew twenty four fourteen. It says, and the gospel will be preached into all the world, and then the end will come. And so they feel that they have a portion in this, that there's something they must do in order to hasten that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and I would look at that and say, no, that's not how it works. That's not what he meant. That you're trying to build a kingdom that he says he builds and we inherit. So no. it's all about whether you understand. You just touched on something that uh, is often referred to as dominionism. Um, That's one you, branch of it, sure. Yeah. Have sure. you ever heard of the, the New Apostolic Reformation? I know we're sure. going – this is a big rabbit trail right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, let's touch on it really quick because we can do it quickly. To me, okay. I, I, here's how I describe those two things. Both believe that they have a hand, and through their efforts, they will bring about the second coming of Jesus Christ. If people want to look this up, the emergent church, the postmoderns, the amillennialists, as we would call them, or the kingdom now people, mm-hmm. for the most part, those are the ones, I, I jokingly say, these are the Rick Warren types of the world that have their peace plan, and they want to go around uh, you know, ending all of these problems by sticking daisies in the end of a gun. It's peaceful. Where you have the new apostolic reformation says, oh, heck no, we are, the, we are the warrior bride, and we're going to stomp through the devil's garden and take dominion and beat him down, and we're going to force the, the, uh, the return of Jesus by our taking dominion in the spiritual sense. We're the new apostles, we're the new prophets with a greater mandate of the Holy Spirit than even those first-generation apostles that Jesus had. So one is very forceful and militant, 
The other one is much more passive, and we're doing all these nice things in the world because we want people to come to know God, and uh, our actions will help them on the on that path. And both of them, for the most part, are void of a coherent gospel. Um, mm-hmm. In in many instances, I, I think uh, in the New Apostolic Reformation, <clears throat> you hear the gospel a little bit more, um, but it's it's still elusive many times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tragic. Yeah, because they, sure they they see Jesus as the one who's supplying the battery power for the movement, so they don't <laughs> mind saying his name. It doesn't freak people out as much within the the NAR. But when you start talking about Jesus around the Rick Warren types, you kind of freak them out a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to talk about Christ. I even It's one of my, my little pet peeves, and I pick it up from my pastor. He would basically say, when you just say every word is, well, what about Christ? You know, we want to talk to you about Christ, this, Christ, that. He would always say, well, which Christ are we talking about? Are we talking about Jesus, the, the, the Christ who is the Lord? Um, he has a name. It's probably better to to um, uh, to refer to him by his name rather than his position, because then you're not going to confuse people. But you've you've had this happen. I know, Michael. You've been in places where you can talk, you can say Christ, and people don't freak out. You start talking about Jesus, and you change the temperature in the room. <laughs> yep, isn't that true? But yeah, how cool I- is that? That's an interesting observation. I mean, yeah, you can talk to just about any New Ager about Christ. They love to talk about Christ because they have their own mm-hmm. New Age Christ. But when you start talking about Jesus, boy, it's it's a whole other thing. And sometimes the fangs come out. Um, yeah, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what about – okay, here's, here is a serious rabbit trail. But here's a couple words that I always – here thrown around uh, what is missional you always hear in <laughs> emergent churches you know oh we're missional what what is missional <laughs> basically again it's the rorschach test because you you ask five different people you'll get six different opinions when you ask the question <laughs> um, but it'll always sound something like this sometimes you'll hear it also we're intentional we're incarnational you know, they're always moving the goalposts because once you can define them, the devil knows it's time to change tactics because you don't want to make the target easy. But a missional, <laughs> they're going to say, I believe that to be very, very true. What I just said there, as soon as you can define them, they will change the terms because the devil's going to make sure that you can't hit a moving target. So a church will call themselves missional. And I've heard Mark Driscoll is a great one. Hey, we're a missional church because we're doing things in the community and we're reaching people on their level. So we don't want to be stuck in just doing our own thing, only serving our own body. We want to go out. We want to do mission work. We want to be missional. That's one way I've heard it described. And it's always going to be some variation of that. We're outward doing things, and it's an evidence that we're on the right track because, look, as you had mentioned earlier about experiential, they -hmm. would say, look at what we're doing. It's obvious that God is working through us because look at the fruit. Well, the fruit is you're doing stuff, but I want to know about the fruit. What are the transformed lives? And, you know, one of the hallmarks of this, and you'll appreciate this. I know that you've looked into it yourself, but when I – one of the guys that you see talked about all the time – and people would say, is he emergent? Is he emerging? 
because he's so different doctrinally and theologically from what was 10 years ago. But Stephen Furtick is a great oh, example. Yep. Stephen Furtick um, had got on one of his rants and he was talking to his church about, you know, if you want me to spoon feed you the Bible and, and if that's what you want to do, you just want to study all the way through it. This is not the church for you. We're about evangelism. If you want me to teach you what the Bible has to say, then that gets in the way of evangelism. And he's just berating people for wanting to, you know, really study and learn the Bible. Yeah. And so when I hear him say that, boy, it sounds great because he's talking about all these people that are getting saved. Okay, great. So, Stephen, be an evangelist. Don't call yourself a pastor. And why bother having a church? Because we're not supposed to make converts. We're supposed to make disciples. Amen. So yes. What happens to those? Sure. So what happens to those people that quote get saved at your church? Are they going to stay in their spiritual infancy because they never come to know? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God is what Romans tells us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good for you that you're doing evangelism. If it's a genuine evangelical message, and these people are truly being born again, then praise God for that. But who are you turning them over to to make them into disciples? Because they're going to stay in their infancy. And I've heard what he teaches, and I can tell you a steady diet of his, after 10 years at his church, you're going to still need a binky spiritually. You will not have grown a bit. So that's the problem. And, you know, but I, I also know his theology is kind of really off the wall and very much more of the, the prosperity gospel, though he has theological training as a Baptist. So he's a pretty anomalous, interesting character. Wow, that is fascinating. And we know he is ripped. The homeboy's got some muscles. Let me do this preemptively, because I know that there are those people that would say, well, Chris, you're just jealous because your church isn't as big as his. Um, uh, we're not in the same market to do the same kind of thing. I'm not interested in how big the church is. I would, if, if at the end of the day, when I look God face to face and give account for what I did as a pastor, if I can point to the people that are part of our church and say that from the time that they came there until the time that, you know, you came for us or they left or whatever else, did they grow spiritually speaking? Did they grow in their knowledge of you and your word? And that will be the measure of whether or not I've been useful. Amen. Yeah, that's the that's the question. Yeah, have they have they grown under your care? Were you faithful, and were they being discipled? Sure. Were they growing in the and Lord? So, there you go. When when Pete, when when Jesus gave Peter the charge, asking if he loved uh, if, if Peter loved him, we know the story. You know, Jesus is saying, do you agape me? And he says, well, I, I love you like a brother. <laughs> How is he going to say anything else? He's the one who just recently had denied him. But what Jesus said were two things, either tend or feed my sheep. So the tending is, you know, giving them a place that's safe and, and seeing to their well-being and then feed them and nurture them. Well, how else is he going to do that? other than he's going to continue the work that Jesus did, and that was based upon instruction and his word. And, you know, of course, he was going to be given the Holy Spirit, who was going to give him the ability and lead him in that. But you can see what Peter did. The, you know, we know that what they did when they were out in the, amongst the people, they were preaching the gospel, people were getting saved. 
when they were in behind the closed doors, Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines, the first thing that's mentioned. Yes. And then in the other things, the fellowship and the breaking of bread, house to house, and all that, the prayers. So their, their first thing was to tend the flock and to see to the well-being of them in their instruction. But when they're out in, and amongst the unbelieving world, they were evangelists. Brilliant. It's a simple, it's a simple model, but, you know, it's too simple for some. Yep, yep. So here's another can of worms, and I could see where an entire show could be, yeah, right, an entire show could just go into this. And actually, I intend on doing an entire uh, show on this, but what is transformational? (laughs) (laughs) You have to, the funny thing is you're asking this, you're asking these questions, and basically there is no solid way of saying this is the definitive answer on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, again, if you were asking me what transformational is, it would be different than depending on who else you're asking. So, you know, a guy like um, uh, if they're the emergent types, they would probably point more in the direction of their postmodern thought, transformational, um, emerging. Those You're just talking about kind of the same thing. You and I would look at it and say, well, is the effect of the work of the gospel and the church having a transformational effect on the person hearing and seeing and doing. And so we would say, is there a transformation that's taken place in their life based upon the work of the Holy Spirit? And so I, when you ask the question, um, are you asking it from anyone in particular that you've had speak on it? Cause that's, who's going to tell you what it means. <laughs> well, and, and I, and I, your, your friend, Greg, uh, I was talking to him about this transformational movement where there are churches that are generally fairly biblically sounded, and then they will go transformational. And stuff, well, as you might expect, things start transforming. You start having a church that is going through major changes. Um, and uh, it, it, it's, it's a movement. It's, it's a whole movement. And it almost seems as if it is linked arm in arm with this emergent idea it's just another way of referring to it Um, sure Uh, here i'll give you a great example of it um if if that's what we're referring to one of the the biggest change agent guys that you'll see out there and there's another word that you can throw out in your in your lexicon there you Um, go but these change agents that are bringing around the transformation bill hybels is a great example of that Uh uh-huh because the, if people don't know who he is, it's more important to know what he does. Sure. Um, he's, he's the pastor of the Willow Creek um, uh, Community Church just outside of Chicago. And at one time, I don't know how many they got now, but it used to be that they would boast 14,000 churches uh, across the United States that were part of his association. And uh, if you were part of his association, it was about, we're doing church wrong. So he's one of those guys, Rick Warren did a similar thing, that they went into the area around their church and they basically polled people, do you go to church? And they would want to focus in on the ones who had not gone. Why don't you go? Well, I don't like being preached at, I don't like giving money, I don't like it feeling like a church, I don't, all these reasons. Um, And so uh, his, his response to that was to, put in theater kind of seating 
and make it more like a concert than, you know, the old stuffy pipe organ, you know, um, types of, of worship. And they would do some other things too, like uh, make sure that, that they would tell people, look, you don't have to give anything. We don't expect anything of you. And they would change the way that they would say things. They wouldn't emphasize things like judgment and hell and repentance and all that because it made people uncomfortable. So basically, <laughs> what's really funny about it is that you're, you're basically, the people don't go to church. The people that weren't going to church didn't go to it because they really felt conviction and that God expected something different out of them. So you're going to build a church <laughs> that makes it comfortable for people that don't want to have biblical instruction. I mean, how crazy is that? <laughs> but the transforming is going to take place because you've now given them a place to feel comfortable in their sin and never confront it. So that's their transformation. We'll agree. It's transformational. Is it biblical and is it useful and is it spiritually edifying to the people? Well, we know the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's more seeker sensitive than it is anything else. Sure. Hmm. Sure. So, so now, what other, isn't that, go ahead. I was going to say, isn't that funny? Because that, that is the same mentality that we see in the secular world that we're somehow trying to teach people that you have the right not to be offended. That, isn't that crazy? So <laughs> look at our world today. Everybody is able to go ahead and lose their mind because somebody said something that they think is offensive. And man, I mean, lawsuits and threats and all kinds of insanity. We've also got that happening in the church. Well, don't be judgmental. You don't, you know, you can't tell me, like you say, there's the, the people that would say that there's no absolute truth. And you did a fantastic job of saying, well, that's a very absolute statement. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth? <laughs> so you play the absurdity part of it. And yeah, so that's taking place. That's more of the church than most people recognize. I had a, uh, a, a shirt custom made for myself and um, I don't wear it very often because, to be honest, it's not your typical winsome Christian shirt, but it is hilarious, and I get so many people. I, I wear the shirt, and I will everywhere I go, I will get people constantly stopping me and commenting about my shirt. It's black, and in white letters, it just simply says, I'm offended that you're offended. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's just awesome. kind of poking fun at the whole um, offensed movement that everybody's got to be offended about something and everybody's going to uh, um, start crying and whining about something that's hurt their feelings. It's like, you know what? This world is filled with offenses. The fact that you're offended offends me. I'm offended. Mm -hmm. So, so right. you know, at this point, we're all offended. So we all just need to get over it. We've made it thousands of years on this planet with offenses. And when we try to um, tiptoe around everything, what ends up happening is, well, we, we have massive infiltration of, of uh, uh, Islamic thought happening. You can't say anything negative about anybody. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's a way of controlling speech is what it is. No question. At, well, isn't it funny that we have so many churches that if you ask the rank and file inside the church, is the God of Islam and the God of the Bible the same? Oh, boy. You find 
most of the people have no clue how to answer that. They don't know the difference. And is that because we look at them as being lazy? Perhaps. I believe that the laziness is much more on the pastoral side because Oy. it is their job to make sure that that is told to the people because now it's coming to their door. Yep. So, you know, you want people to know, look, is it, is it considered a monotheistic belief, Islam? Sure. They believe in one God, Allah, and they believe he has a prophet, Muhammad. They would look at the Christian and say, you're idolaters. You're, you believe in three gods. Uh -huh. So we don't have the ability in the churches to be able to answer that question because the pastors are too lazy either to study it for themselves or they're too afraid of the people to tell them if they do know. But the church needs to realize, because they're hearing it all the time said, we want to be able to say, well, wait a minute, the God of the Bible is knowable. You can know where you stand with him at any particular time. You know if yeah. you are in fellowship with him, if you are in right standing with him, and if you've died, you know for sure that you are saved. And you can know that. That is not the God of Islam. The God of Islam would even say that God is not begotten, nor does he beget. They deny the Son. They deny the Holy Spirit. So for myriads of reasons, it's a different God entirely, but the church never talks like that. It's too confrontational, and they're too afraid of the fallout from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. It's very frustrating, going right back, circling around to what we were talking about earlier. People get really bent out of shape when you speak in absolutes. When you say something is wrong, People get really worked up about it. And I mm -hmm. think that even in solid biblical circles, this idea that we have to tiptoe around everything uh, and that uh, there are times when there are no absolute truths and the idea that we must not offend anybody is really hurting us. It's really holding us back. Mm -hmm. um, probably don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but it's, it's, it's something that, uh, it's, it's Marxist thinking, uh, to, to, uh, just political correctness in general, uh, as far as I can tell, seems to trace back to Marx and just the idea that if, Hey, we, if we can, uh, control people's speech by making things, uh, anything that is critical of something else to, to label it as offensive and, you know, bring out the offense police, uh, we'll be able to introduce all kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Which, and, and if you're, let me just ask you this. I tell my leadership back at church, you know, anybody that serves in ministry around there, I will say that this to them. I want you to think like the devil does and just do that in a way of trying to anticipate what he's going to do. So oh, if, okay. yeah. if I was the devil and I wanted to infiltrate the church what are some of the things that I would be telling the people? Hey, look, God loves you, but the Bible was written by people 2,000 years ago. The culture has changed so much. You don't know what was going on at Philippi or Thessalonica or Corinth. So don't stand dogmatically on that. You know, there's a lot of room for this, and we should be more accepting and more loving because ultimately the love of God is what we want to be focusing on. Well, mm -hmm. if, if I'm the devil, that's the message I want the church to believe and to go out into the world and try to promote, because that's a way of making sure that you have a church with no power, maybe has a lot of works, but, you know, when you look at, the, at what Jesus had to say to the seven churches, 
um, look at the two churches that probably had the most good stuff going on. Ephesus, who was doing all of the stuff right on the outside, but the love that they had for God was, was waning. Or look at Laodicea. You've got everything that you could possibly want, but you're distant from me. You're not hot. You're not, you know, you're not, uh, you're not Smyrna. You're not Philadelphia. You're not cold. So you're not Thyatira or Pergamus. You're right in the middle. And you're a nauseating glass of warm water. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you think that you've got it all together. So when you look at Laodicea, they had everything going on on the outside, but they were totally self-reliant. They were not. People say that they were an apostasy. He doesn't identify any apostasy. They were apathetic, and they were also in a place of indifference, and that was their offense. And so is that not what we see in the church? That's exactly what we're seeing. Exactly. So Ephesus, and man, they had all of the mechanical stuff down. I mean, they had it down. They were doing it so very, very well. But if your love for the Lord is lacking, your love for the true message of the gospel, even if it hurts, is also going to be missing. Amen. That's true. Hmm. Well, guys, um, uh, if you're looking for a good church, Calvary Chapel Cyprus, we've got a good pastor here. He's preparing <laughs> his flock. This is a, a great place. You know, people are always asking me, where's a good place to go in my area? And of course, I'm, I'm always throwing up my hands and saying, I don't know. I don't know. But hey, here's one. If anybody's near Calvary Chapel Cyprus, there is a good church there. So that's great. Um, okay. Are there any other dangerous ideas that have been introduced by the emergent church that we didn't bring up today? Did we miss anything? Um, I think we got the big picture because, you know, again, like I said, they're always reinventing themselves. And it's, it's a clear indication that it's the devil who's behind it, which really mm -hmm. freaks people out when I say it because you can never really nail them down to one thing. They, they work in ambiguous language that's left in the ear or the eye of the beholder, and when you try to nail them down to anything, they'll say, well, why are you trying to make this about specifics? You know, you're trying to get me to, to say this, that, or the other thing, and we don't, you know, they, that's where they go back to the whole absolutes. There's no absolutes, and you're just judgmental. And <laughs> Have you seen the picture it's somebody made it and they put it up on social media. It was one of the funniest things I ever saw. They said, here's how uh, people like we're discussing. This is how they read Matthew chapter seven, judge not. And they, they took a Sharpie to every other word, <laughs> the entire <laughs> chapter. <laughs> so people love to throw that one. Don't judge me. And yet, you know, it's really funny if you, even for those people that like to cite that, look at the rest of the chapter. And he says that there are going to be false teachers and false prophets and you're going to have to examine that well does that not take a, an element of judgment so yeah. if you're telling me don't judge jesus was telling you that you're going to have to be able to determine whether or not a person is true or false in what they're teaching that requires judgment it's a self-refuting argument no wonder you need to take a sharpie to it <laughs> there you go that's right you know and the bible also <laughs> says he who is spiritual judgeth all things you sure. know so it, it's really, it's, it's Jesus saying, listen, if you're going to go after somebody about somebody, if you have a particular judgment you're making, you better check yourself first because you might be right. playing the hypocrite. 
you yeah, might actually don't be guilty of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's it. But uh, boy, that is the mantra nowadays. Judge not, judge yeah. not. I, yeah. I get that all the time. Judge not. You're being so judgmental. No, no. We're supposed to be judgmental. Just in a loving, winsome way. Yes, but we need to point out error where we see it. And try to steer people back to the truth that's found in the Bible. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so. Yeah. We don't judge the heart; we judge the fruit. We judge the doctrine. I mean, it, think there about this. Here's something that I love to be able to say to people: If we're not supposed to make judgments on things, then you really need to take everything that Paul wrote and tr- you know trash it, because he was always <laughs> correcting. That's what the epistles were for. So let's go ahead and take a look at how much correction Jesus was bringing in the Gospels. How much does he dedicate to instruction and correcting error? Um, The Book of Acts had plenty of what was considered as as wrong or not wrong. Look at the the problems that the apostles had when they were contending with the Pharisees. So if we look at it like that, the Book of Hebrews is all about not going back to something that can't save you. If you want to take a look at it this way. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the New Testament's really easy. Look at what God had to do in the book of the Old Testament, the 39 books there. Twelve of the prophets were the minor prophets. The other four were the the, uh, the major prophets. That 16 of the 39 books were the prophets writing to either Judah or Israel or both, and a couple were writing, written to Assyria, all of which were saying, God's not pleased, you need to get it together. All right? So if that's the case, we also know that when we take a look at Ezra and Nehemiah, they're from that time coming out of the Babylonian captivity. Again, Mm -hmm. about correction. We have sinned against God. We need to get things right. Look at the history as you go through the book of Genesis. Of all of the failures and all the rest of it, whether God had to bring correction or correction came because of their, their mistakes, you see plenty of it there. Leviticus is telling him, here's what is right, and here's what is wrong, and here's the consequence. And that spills over into Numbers and Deuteronomy. So, I mean, you start to look at it book by book by book by book, and the Bible is so filled with instruction and correction. When you look at what Paul has to say to Timothy, that all Scripture is given and it's profitable for what? For reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man would be equipped. So, <laughs> my goodness for these people to say, don't be judgmental. Well, then quit reading the Bible. You're quoting something that is always filled with correction. You contradiction you. So, <laughs> Well said. Very well said. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It, it is crazy. And, and again, whenever somebody says judge not, they're immediately, they've already made a judgment upon you. They've already right. shot their own foot. They've already broke their own rule. So, but yeah, I love, I love what you just said there, taking him to the Bible and saying, look, you got to trash pretty much everything Paul said, because he was bringing nothing but correction. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say nothing but, but a whole lot of correction. You got second Peter, that entire book was about false teachers. Boy, that's intolerant, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. And the whole old Testament, all those prophetic books saying, Hey, Israel, you're missing it, you know, this is why you're in trouble, or this is why you're about to get in trouble. Um, 
Well, yeah. think about it this way. Well, let's let's add another little element to it. How often was God also saying, and yet, even in all of your failure, and after you do all of those things, I'm still going to bless you because I love you, not because you get it together. So mm. think, it, think of it like this. The book of Jeremiah, God says, Jeremiah, you're, you're, I have something I need you to do. They're not going to listen to you. You're, you're, basically, your whole ministry would be pretty much fruitless because everybody's going to hate you and nobody's going to believe you and come to you know, repentance. But they're going to have to be on notice because I'm sending you. All right, great. So he does that. And he basically says, and I know I'm kind of being a little cute with it, but basically God says, look, you have not given the land rest for 70 cycles like I told you. So I'm going to give the land rest from you. You're in the penalty box for 70 years. Go to Babylon. Now, when he brings them back after those 70 years, it's not because they got their act together, but it's because God said it was going to be 70 years. So, you know, when you stop (laughs) to consider that, he does things in spite of us. And not in a, not, I don't mean that punitively. I mean, he blesses and does good things in spite of the fact that we don't deserve them. So, we need to, to recognize that and see sometimes the emergent and the emerging kind of churches have this almost narcissistic look that God wants to bless you and he wants to do this, that, and the other thing, and everything is well and cool and hunky-dory. And they need to recognize that, my goodness, we don't merit any of these things and we're not entitled to a single thing. There should be an enormous amount of humility in the church when instead there's an awful lot of pride and arrogance and, you know, thank God he doesn't deal with us the same way as he did in the Old Testament when pride and arrogance came along. Ooh, yes. Amen to that. So the million-dollar question, everybody wants to know, <clears throat> how would you suggest that we reach out to those who are caught up in this type of thinking? Um, be honest with them. And make them go to the Word of God and defend their position. Because we want to be able to do the same thing and say, look, I don't want to win an argument so I can put a notch in my belt. That's not what this is about. But truth does not occupy two spaces at the same time. There's either what you believe is true or what I'm saying is true. And since we are in a place of contradiction here, let's come to the truth and, you know, let us, as the Bible says, let us reason together. And so, great, it's a good thing for us to be able to say, you can't have this mentality that, well, you've got what you believe, I have what I believe, and it's okay, it'll all work out in the end. That is not what the Bible teaches. So if you're going to tell me this piece of paper in my hand is black and I'm saying it's white, we can't just say, let's just call it gray and it's a good thing. (laughs) It's either black or it's white. So Mm -hmm. let's figure out what it is. Is it okay for us to be accepting of alternative lifestyles? No, because the Bible doesn't accept them. Is it okay for us to be able to say, well, Jesus died for our sins, but we can work our way to heaven by good works? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. I I believe that you sincerely believe that, but the Bible sincerely speaks against it. So whatever the topic may be, whatever it is that people want to hold on to, you'll notice most of the times people have their minds made up and they're looking for ways for the Bible to agree with them. But Mm -hmm. that's not the way that the Bible's written. So God has his opinion. He's put it in writing. He's not been in any way cryptic or ambiguous. He's been very descriptive. And so it is for us to say, God, this is what you said. Now, may you provide for me the grace by which I can live this. 
that's what we're expected to do. And, you know, we're supposed to be able to reason our way through those things. Great. Well said. Very well said. Friends, again, this is Chris Quintana. He's Pastor Chris, I should say. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Cypress in California. Dumb question, Chris, but is this, what, what part of California is Cypress? Um, just, we're kind of where Orange County meets L.A. County. Okay. Um, about 15 miles. Yeah, about, everybody knows where Disneyland is. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I don't hit normal Orange County traffic, um, from my house, I can be to Disneyland in about 15 minutes. It's just up the five freeway from us. That's that's awesome. That's an idea. And, and and that also tells me that uh, I, I end up that way, oh, probably about every other year because of business. So now I'm going to have to come and visit you, <laughs> come and come and knock on your door and bug you. No, I wouldn't do that. But it'd That'd be great be to take you to lunch it. sometime. I would I would appreciate that immensely. I love uh, having people, you know, come by and see us. And, you know, funny thing about it, we have a, a really I, I love technology nowadays. We have a really cool uh, bunch of people that uh, that watch us online because, you know, churches that just teach the Bible are getting harder to find. Uh, I'm humbled by it that people would want to watch us. But we, you know, we, we study all the way through the Bible. So we're. Sunday nights we dedicate only to the Old Testament. We start at Genesis, get to Malachi, and we'll go back because uh, we just did that. <laughs> we're in Genesis now because we had finished Malachi. I'm in Matthew, and we're working our way through the New Testament on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday mornings we're working through the book of John. So we'll do every chapter, every verse of every book eventually. And yeah. uh, people can live stream it. There's a, a, a really wonderful lady who takes all of uh, our studies and puts them up on her own private YouTube channel. And uh, so if people are wondering what we do, and if they're not familiar with churches that teach through the Bible and they don't know another example of what it is, they're welcome to go check it out and, yeah, uh, and see yeah. what that's like. What is that YouTube channel? Do you know? Um, Quickening Spirit. Quickening okay. Spirit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and if people haven't picked up on it, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a bit of a goofball. I, you know, I like to have fun at things and <laughs> I, I do like to, I've got a, a, sometimes I have a little bit of a sarcastic bent to how I am and, uh, you know, pretty much what you hear in the way I deal with stuff in, in yours and my discussion here is pretty much how it's my approach to the Bible as well. Uh, but it is also one of, of real seriousness about the text, which I learned from my pastor and I'm indebted to him for that. Uh, he modeled what it was to be a, a, a godly man who honored the Word of God. Awesome. And, yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with having fun, as long as it's reverent. I mean, hey, you know, mm -hmm. that's, it's all exactly. fair game. Um, your radio <laughs> show then, um, oh, no, it, it just escaped my mind now, too. Answers for today. Um, yes. How can people find that? Uh, if you go to the Internet, look for uh, a – uh, a website called His Channel. His Channel. They could probably even get it this way. If they had, if they just put it in a word search, uh, whether they're using Bing or Google or Yahoo or whatever, and they just put in this as their search parameter, answers for today, His Channel, you'll find them. And they run five weeks. They'll keep them, you know, in a, uh, able to be on demand for the five weeks uh, since the last one that we did. So they're always current. 
Okay. Yep, yeah. that does it too. Excellent. His channel, Christian Video On Demand, and Answers for Today. Yep. Cool. Very there good. It Got it. Well, well cool. Chris, <laughs> it was a an honor to have you, a pleasure. It was a really good time, and uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. You know how to get a hold of me. I, I, it's my favorite topic, you know, to talk about things in the Word of God and what he expects of us and trends in the church. Man, this is I do this all the time, so I appreciate someone else kindred about this it's been a, a real pleasure all right we're going to stop right there guys thanks for listening this is michael bohm you were listening to uh chris quintana by the way his church uh calvary chapel cypress if you're in the area and you need a church home, please check them out. Uh, great pastor. Uh, and, and you know, Calvary chapels, they're not all perfect. Uh, but one of the wonderful things about them is they do teach expositionally, verse by verse, cover to cover, through the Bible. And so if you stick around at a Calvary chapel for five to ten years, you're actually going to get through the entire Bible, verse by verse, cover to cover. And uh, be able to not only read, I mean, it's as if you read through the entire Bible, but you'll also be able to uh, have a pastor expound on it. And uh, Chris is not a lightweight. He definitely gets into the Word. He digs deep. Uh, and uh, he, he busts out some really good teachings. So if you're in his area, check his church out. That might be your future church home. <laughs> so anyway, with that, I love you guys. See you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.